again. So nice to see you all and uh, and looking forward um, uh, to doing some more learning today and tomorrow. Um, we're going to look at Dayenu today. Um, and uh, just it, it'll be a helpful reminder of what we looked at a little bit last week, which which is what I was um, uh, claiming is the core structure of the Haggadah over and over again, which is the question of what does it mean to go from Gnut to Shevach? What does it mean to go from degradation to praise? And Dayenu is actually a great example of a journey uh, of moving from degradation to praise. In fact, it seems like it's a cyclical journey, that is to say, each degradation leads to the next praise, which then becomes the next degradation, which leads to an even higher praise. Not a degradation exactly, but not the highest level that you could have gone. And that's sort of the, the structure of Dayenu. And we'll see that unlike other places in the Haggadah, Dayenu takes us to other, um, other conclusions and other outcomes. And we'll also be able to look at just the structure of the word Dayenu, like where does that come from? Sounds very un-Jewish. Oh, that would have been enough. Maybe it's very, very Jewish. Oh, that would have been fine if you had just, you know, took us in the middle of the sea, but not uh, not let us across to the other side. Um, if you had took us to Mount Sinai, but not given us the Torah, it would have been fine. So we'll look at some, you know, some other uses of the word Dayenu, um, just to get a sense of that. Even uh, a sort of alternative universe uh, opposite Dayenu, um, and uh, and think about uh, the ways in which um, uh, the Egyptians were actually saying, wouldn't it have been enough? If you had just done X, but you had to go and do X, Y, and Z, um, so we'll see the how the how the word gets played out uh, as well. So just to remind us, I'm going to make it a little bit bigger. I can do that. Just to remind us, uh, the mission that we've been looking at, sort of throughout in this um, in this series, comes back again. Um, according to the knowledge of the or the ability of the child, the the parent instructs him. So again, we had this question last week of does moving from Ganut to Shevach mean the same as do a Doresh, do a Drasha of the section of Arami Ovedavi in Deuteronomy until you finish that whole section? Or are they two distinct issues? One is go from Ganut to Shevach, from degradation, David wants another word from um, you know, the opposite of praise, from lowliness to, to heights. Um, that's one uh, journey, which is totally separate from the drasha of Arami Ovedavi, from the, my father was a wandering Aramean, or an Aramean tried to destroy my father. Two separate things, or one, where the example of going from degradation, from Gnut to Shevach, is the story of Arami Ovedavi. And if you do think that they are one, then the question is, what happens at the end of that parasha? Where do you finish that story of moving towards praise? And again, that's where Dayenu is going to give us a commentary of where it thinks the end of the journey is, which is different from some of the other ones that we're familiar with in the Haggadah. So just again, to remind you, um, the, the, the Talmud actually does not equate the journey from Gnut to Shevach with the section of Arami Ovedavi, it has its own answer of what the Gnut is and what the Shevach is. So this is box number two. What is Gnut? My big Gnut. Rav says Mitchila from the beginning. That is to say, from the beginning, our ancestors were um, were idol worshippers. Mitchila Avotenu. And Shmuel, or uh, in the printed text, but Rava really in all the manuscripts says, no, it's Avadimayinu. That's the beginning of our are Gnut, okay? But neither of them actually explicitly says what the Shevach is. 
Meaning that the Talmud asks, what is degradation? What is lowliness? Um, and it gets two answers. One is idol worship even before Egypt. And the second is we were slaves in Egypt. Neither of them, we do not have a parallel question of my Sheva. What's the, what's the praise that we're headed to? Now, maybe that's because it's obvious, like the obvious opposite of um, being an idol worshiper is to you know, believe in the one God or the obvious opposite of being slaves is to be free. But just to know, we didn't spell it out exactly. And we remember also that we saw in, in Yerushalmi, there was this alternative vision of what Rav was saying when Rav said, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, we lived over on the other side of the river. Um, and, and I took your father, Abraham, from across the river, um, from Aram Naram to the other side. Um, so it's possible there you do have the Shevach, where the Shevach is, you made it to the other side. And again, this was the strange possibility that maybe the whole story of Gnut to Shevach finished even before we got to Egypt. Maybe the whole thing was simply the journey of Abraham, uh, who moves from being an idol worshiper to moving to the other side of the river, but in a sort of ideological sense as well as a geographic sense. Um, and that's one possibility. Maybe that's wrapped up in Rav's version in the, in the Babylonian Talmud. In the beginning, we were idol worshippers, which is the same as in the beginning, we lived on the other side of the river. Okay, this is the Ganut that we're playing around with in the, in the Talmudim. But now we have Dayenu, um, which is giving us its own version of moving from Ganut to Sheva. And um, uh, there are, of course, two... Dayenu is really two poems that are knocked into one uh, mush. And we think of it as one, but in fact, it's, it seems like it was two. And scholars actually think the second part came earlier. So just for ease of reading, I'm going to skip down. Well, I'll read the first line, and then I'm going to skip down to the second part of the poem. So Dayenu begins, and, and Dayenu is, is said at the end of the drasha um, in, in the Magid section. So we're toward the end of the Magid section after we mentioned the plagues. How many ma'alot, how many degrees, let's say, or great acts, as it's translated one agata, this is the Shekhtar agata, how many great acts has God, makom, has the place done for us? Which is a little bit of a strange sentence. Now, ma'alot may also have some other associations that you're thinking of. When you think of the word ma'alot, what might come to mind? So we have shira ma'alot, right? Which is um, what we say on, on Shabbat and holidays before Birkat Mazon, that psalm. These are the psalms. Um, there are actually 15 psalms that begin shira ma'alot. I think it's 120 to 134 that, um, that are, in fact, related to Dayenu because how many stanzas of Dayenu are there? Well, there are 14 stanzas, but 15 stages, okay? Because you got two in the first one. So, that's two things. And if you run through all of Dayan, if you count all the things that were uh, that God did for us, you actually get 15 ma'alot which is parallel to the 15 shirea um, ma'alot, the 15 songs of ascent, which themselves are parallel to a few other things, which we're going to see in a second. But let's just look at what the 15 things are. In order to do that, I'm going to scroll to the bottom of Dayenu. You know, if you're like, I grew up in my Seder, probably we'll do it again in our new Seder at home. We just sang a few of these verses. Ilu hotzi hotzianu, hotzianu mi mitzrayim. 
we used to do Ilunatan Lanu at Shabbat, Ilunatan Lanu at Torah. That was it. It was like the highlights. Nobody can disagree with those. Um, we didn't dwell too much on the, uh, you know, the destruction ones, but uh, indeed they're all there. And, and as a, just as a, as a poem, it kind of only makes sense if you read them all through. So this is the second part of Dayenu, which I'm taking us to, the end of Dayenu. After you run through all the Dayenu, it would have been enough if we had stopped somewhere in the middle of the 15 Malod. Here we're going to go a little bit further and say, no, actually, how amazing it was you did them all. How much the more so, all this doubled and redoubled, goodness that God did for us. And now we get the list just straight up so you can read it very clearly. Took us out of Egypt, carried out judgments against them, Shvatim, which is mentioned in the book of Exodus. Asadim be'elohehem, you know, um, the judgment against their idols. Haragat bechoreim smote their first firstborn. Natan laruet mamonam gave us their wealth. Karalon karalon split the the sifras. Vehebirenu betochol becharava took us to the other side on dry land. Um, um, Drowned our oppressors in it, supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years, fed us the mana, gave us Shabbat, brought us, notice Shabbat comes before Har Sinai, that's true according to one, uh, um, one view, and probably explicitly Shabbat is mentioned around Man, which is before they get to Sinai. Um, then they get, came to Mount Sinai, gave us the Torah, brought us to the land of Israel, Israel. And, brought, and built for us the Beit HaBechira, the chosen house, the temple, okay? Um, what's the final line? To uh, atone for all of our sins. So just to note that this is the Shevach that we arrive at in Dayenu. We said um, last week, that the potential Shevach, if you're really reading Aramio Beiravi to the end of the Parashakula, it's that God brought us into this land and gave us all this food that we are now bringing before God. But this is actually a different version of what it means to come into the land. Come into the land where God will build the temple for us. We will have that house of worship. The, the presence of God will be on earth. And the purpose of that Beit Bechira is to lechaper al kol avonotenu, to atone for our sins. Now, I mentioned yesterday, those of you who were with us in the Yom Yun, that you don't think of Pesach and Yom Kippur as aligned, but there are little hints. One is that we wear the kittel um, on Seder night, and we wear it also only uh, the other time on, on Yom Kippur. And here also you see that the highlight, the, the pinnacle, the where are we going, what's this journey all headed to, is lechaper al kol abonotenu. It's actually meant to give us the opportunity to uh, atone for our sins. Um, now, what's striking and, and sort of depressing is we are not in the land. You know, again, if you're sitting in Babylonia, you know, in the writing of the Babylonian Talmud, you're not in the land. And you certainly, nobody has access to the temple. And so how are we doing kapara for all of our sins? So that's sort of like the challenge of rabbinic Judaism generally. But just to note that this is where Dayenu thinks we're all headed. By the way, this is why some scholars uh, um, earlier in, in the 20th century believed Dayenu to be one of the oldest poems of the Haggadah because it seems like it was said in a time when the temple was standing. Although later scholars, as is, seems to be the trend, say, no, actually, the fact that Dayenu doesn't appear in any Eretz Israel Haggadah and the fact that none of it appears in rabbinic literature 
means that, yes, they were longing for the temple, but it, it itself is a poetic um, creation that, is, that follows much later than, than temple times. Um, I'll give you some other evidence about why Dayanu might be old, um, but that's, um, um, that doesn't seem to be scholarly consensus right now, that Dayanu somehow entered the Haggadah, like a bunch of songs and poems that we say. Um, and in fact, Dayenu, if you take it seriously, doesn't even have to really be only about um, Seder night. Uh, in fact, it's, it's just sort of a telling of the history of the Jewish people and that we, sit, we recite in other forms at other times and nobody bats an eye that it's not Pesach when we're reciting them. Um, so I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples of that. We say Psalm 136, actually the structure of Psalm 135 and Psalm 136 is very similar to the structure of Dayenu which is a poem where it lists out each one with a refrain, Dayenu, and then it's followed by the sort of narrative telling of moving one to the other to the other. That's the same thing in reverse of Psalm 135, 136. So just notice in Psalm 136, which we say, um, uh, nowadays we say it every Shabbat uh, as part of Sukkot Zimra. Um, we also will say this Hallel Agadol. There's a debate about what the Hallel is that you're supposed to say at the end of the Seder. And this is one of them. Um, Hallel Agadol, maybe this is the Hallel that we're supposed to say as opposed to Psalms 113 to 118. So this is in fact, you know, intimately related to Seder night because it is, at least one opinion in the Gemara, the Hallel that we're supposed to say, it's called Hallel Agadol, as opposed to Hallel Amitri, the Egyptian Hallel, which is the one that starts, um, that includes B'tseik Yisrael Mimitzrayim, Psalm 113 to 118. Maybe Hallel was just Psalm 136 and just look at the structure. L'makei Mitzrayim b'vchoreim. And you can see the translation here. So this is, again, a process of leaving Egypt with a refrain. And the refrain itself might be abbreviated, because what is really short for? Right? So you could imagine a, a, like a, um, a real a, a, um, liturgical performance of this psalm, just like Dayenu is a rousing part of our Seder and everybody can get into singing it and sort of at least with the refrain Dayenu, you could imagine this with Kilo Elam Chastel. And we have here the story of the Jewish people as told through Psalm 136. Now, each of these, Dayenu and Psalm 136, are actually missing certain parts of our history. What's super striking about Psalm 136 is what's the main thing that's missing in Psalm 136? Actually, they never seem to really get to our Sinai. They just move through the desert. God um, slaughters Melachim Adirim, who then they name Sichon Melech Amori and Og Melech Abashan. Those kings that prevented Israel from crossing their lands and went out to meet them in war, God defeated them. And then what happened? Natan Artsam Lenachala, Nachalal Israel Abdo. Right, so that we got their land in return. That actually isn't in Dayenu, but what's missing in Psalm 136 is, brought us to Mount Sinai and gave us the Torah. So that's kind of striking, just if you think about Psalm 136, about Halel HaGadol, it's missing that piece, um, which is interesting and, and does show up in Dayenu. But just note, the structure of Psalm 136, again, we're going to recite that in the full Haggadah as one of the versions of Halel towards the end, is very similar to Dayenu. And in, indeed, if you look at Psalm 135, the Psalm that precedes it, we don't recite that. Uh, on Seder night, we say exactly these things, but without the refrain. Um, 
Harag Melachim Atsumim, Sichon Melachamuri, Og Melachabashan. You have all these things without the refrain. So you can see actually that perhaps Dayenu is in fact just mimicking Halel HaGadol and its relationship to the psalm that comes before it, Psalm 135 plus, plus Psalm 136, is like Dayenu, where you get the, each level has a response, Dayenu, that's the Kilo Lam Kasto parallel. And then you get the summary and sort of the, the list form of all the wonderful things um, that happened to us. So um, that's just in terms of the structure of Dayenu. So Harvey's saying, isn't it true that nothing God did was enough for us? What, is it, what does that mean about the meaning of Dayenu? That's exactly where we're going to go now. Because does Dayenu really mean like, no, it would have been fine. Honestly, it would have been fine if you had just stopped in the middle of all these things. And we, we, would, we would be so happy. You know, we would be just so happy if you called once a week. That would be fine with us, okay? Don't even think about, oh, if you call twice a week, that's also fine. Nothing needed more than that. Um, so what could Dainu actually, um, actually mean? Um, uh, yeah, and, and Brad wrote to me, I missed how Dainu ties into atonement. This is sort of, it, it, the whole thing about Dainu ending with the God took us to the land of Israel to build the temple. The purpose of the temple was to give us kapara, now you might ask, well, what do we need kapara for? And how is that related to this journey? What's the, what's the shevach? What's the phrase in ending up with a place that gives us kapara? We're going to look at that um, as well. Okay, just to note um, that the shir ha-ma'alot, the, the Psalms 120 to 134, these 15 ma'alot, these 15 levels um, that we say uh, that encompass the book of Psalms were actually, according to the Mishnah, also parallel to the 15 steps that the Levim would um, sing on as they were rising up from the mixed court to the inner court of the temple. And this uh, shows up in, the, um, in a couple of Mishnayot, Mishnah Midot, the 15 steps, Chamesh Asrei Ma'alot, that's again the Kama Ma'alot Tovot, the 15 steps that went up from the Ezrat Nashim to Ezrat Yisrael, um, or corresponding to the 15 psalms that the Livian would, would sing. And the picture of these steps, these were curved steps. That was sort of, you look at the temple diagrams as they've been reconstructed from this Mishnah. So there's something about literally you're going up in each of these. The, the journey from degradation to praise is actually a physical journey in which you're literally climbing up um, steps, okay? Um, all right, so, and, and one uh, medieval commentary on the on Dayenu just makes the explicit the connection between the end of the Arami Oved section in the Torah that we do not expound on in the Haggadah. Uh, we do not get to the, the line where it says that God brought us to this place, but this commentator, um, Shimon ben Semach Duran, um, says that actually this is the purpose of Dayenu. That itself, Dayenu is the exposition of the last verse that we cut off from Arami Oberavi in, in Deuteronomy, and that is actually the bringing us to the place, bringing us to this place, that last part of the Deuteronomy um, verse, is what Dayenu is doing in the Seder. It's the commentary we were, we were missing on that verse that we were missing. It's the sort of return of the repressed of, actually, this is a journey to a land as opposed to a journey to freedom. Okay, so the, the Bavel men mentality, the ex exilic mentality is one in which you, you were slaves and now you're free, right? That's the, the Rava Shmuel opinion. But actually here we have Diana, which is telling us actually you were slaves and then you entered into the land. 
and not only the land, but you got into the temple um, for your atonement. Okay, so let's get to the Dayenu. What could Dayenu mean? Um, skipping some other biblical texts about the, the raised platforms. Um, well, this is interesting. There was a, scholar, a scholarly argument that said that Dayenu was a reaction to um, a anti-Semitic Easter uh, sermon that was offered by an um, a early Christian preacher, church father named Melito of Sardis, which is in Western Turkey. This is a, um, a sermon that was already from the second century, so pretty old. So people think Dayenu is old. Um, this is in your favor. And this is the way that, um, that the, the Christian preacher um, um, you know, sort of does the anti-Dayenu, the one that we're probably familiar with, right? Israel the ungrateful. How much did you value the 10 plagues? How much did you value the mighty pillar and the daily cloud and the crossing of the Red Sea? How much did you value the giving of the manna from heaven and the supply of water from Iraq and the giving of Torah Chorev and the inheritance of the land? That is to say, you're totally ungrateful. And that actually rings true with the Israel of the Bible. In other words, that you could read it as an anti-Semitic trope. You could also just read it as a straight up reading of B'nai Israel in the Torah, who were just fundamentally ungrateful throughout all the miracles that took place for them there. Um, and so whether this is an internal critique of Israel, sort of we are all Israel, or whether it's directed against Jews, um, you know, we could explore further. But just note that you could see Dayenu as a reaction to this, but this is not only the, you know, um, it didn't take a Christian preacher to notice that Israelites were not grateful during the desert. We have others, ex other examples of this um, uh, as well as other Psalms, um, Psalm 78 uh, specifically, um, so, uh, that, that, that sort of call Israel, Psalm 106, we have sinned like our forefathers. We have gone astray, done evil. Our forefathers in Egypt did not perceive your wonders. They did not remember your abundant love, but rebelled at the sea, at the sea of reeds. Um, he saved them as befits his name to make known his might. He sent his blast against the sea of reeds. It became dry. He led them through the deep as through wilderness. He delivered them from the foe, redeemed them from the enemy. Water covered their advances. Not one of them was left. They believed his promise, sang his praises, but they soon forgot his deeds. They, they, they were quick to forget his deeds and they would um, not wait to learn his plan. That is to say, maybe we were temporarily grateful, but we actually didn't really hold on to that gratitude, even all the things that God did for us. So that was, again, that's just Psalm 106. So there's a, a view of Israel as the ungrateful that you can find in Christian literature, but also just in the Bible, and seems to speak truth to what was the experience in the desert. Um, so maybe Dayenu is a tikkun, or maybe the, av the avon, the sin that we're being atoning for is the sin of ungratefulness. And Dayenu is an expression of, we are grateful at every step of the way. We're not going to second guess um, the good deeds that God did for us in the desert. Okay, so I want to look now at Harvey's question, what does Dayenu mean? So I think Dayenu, you know, it would have been enough. I think that is a reasonable um, translation. It's almost always the translation you see in English. But just to see that there are some other associations with Dayenu. One is on this phrase that you see in Malachi, um, uh, I will surely open the floodgates of the sky for you and pour down blessings on you. Ad bli dai. Barikoti lachem bracha, ad bli dai until without ending, okay? Which sounds like a positive thing. You'll get so many blessings. So the Yerushalmi asks, what does that phrase mean? Rabbi Yossi bar Shimon bar Ba, b'shem Rabbi Yochanan. Rabbi Yochanan says, 
It's davar she'iyaf sharlo lomar dai hu bracha. Something which you cannot ever say enough about, that is a blessing. Okay, so dai, <laughs> ugly dai is like, I can never stop talking about how amazing this is. Um, okay, and Rabbi Brechia, Rabbi Chalva, Rav Abba, Bar Eli, B'Shem Rav, and you have another church in Rav's name, Ad milomar dayenu. What does it mean, Adli Dai? You're saying over and over again, Dayenu. Right? We have so much blessing that your, your lips are worn out, as is the way that we say this song. We say it over and over again, Dayenu. It's just, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Okay? Dayenu Brachot, Dayenu Brachot. Enough for us blessings. Like, we have so much blessings. We're filled with blessings. So I don't think, I think you can read it as literally it would have been enough or it's, it's like, wow, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with blessing. Dayenu, not as like, it would have been enough, like literally, but like, man, there's so many blessings here. I'm just, I'm overwhelmed with blessings. Dayenu brachot, dayenu brachot. There's so, there's so much that I can say it. I'm going to say it over and over again, how much blessings we have. That's just another way of looking at it as opposed to literally it would have been enough if you had just stopped halfway um, because of the way dayenu is used. Um, in other contexts. Uh, I'm just going to bring you one, the flip side of Dayenu as a way of ending, which is the way the Egyptians actually would have experienced Dayenu. Uh, Amru. It's an early Midrash on Shemot. Amru. Ilu lakinu velo shalachnu hulanu. If we had been plagued without setting them free, without letting the Israelites go, Kidaihulanu, like Dayenu. That would have been enough for us, right? If you had just given us the plagues but not set them free. No, even if you had plagued us and set them free. Um, Wouldn't have been enough if you had just plagued us and let them free and not had them take our money. That would have been enough for us. Um, but the fact that we actually had all of them, right? This is um, the Pharaoh's final, final, the final thing that sort of breaks the straw on, on the back, uh, uh, breaks the camel's back, the straw that breaks the camel's back for Pharaoh. It wouldn't have been enough for us to go after Israel, except for the fact that they took our money. Like the last thing that we needed was them taking our money, which the Jews think is sort of back pay but the Egyptian sea is stealing. And so that's the sort of dayenu from the opposite side. Wouldn't it have been enough if you had just done what you had done up until a certain point, but you had to go further and further. Um, so just offering that as another possible um, vision of what uh, dayenu could mean, which is to say, there's the dayenu for us. We're so filled with blessing, we can't stop speaking. It's like our lips are worn out from saying so many blessings, so many blessings. Dayenu is like, so many blessings. And for the Egyptians, it's like, wouldn't it have been enough? Couldn't you have stopped here instead of going on and on and on? Sort of the flip side of Dayenu. Uh, so I'm offering Dayenu as a possible, uh, another version of Genut Teshevach, where, what it means to go from degradation to praise, actually arriving in the land of Israel to have the temple, to atone for our sins. Maybe the sin was being ungrateful. And the possibility of Dayenu itself as a tikkun, as a repair, by being overcome with gratitude, saying over and over again, Dayenu Brachot, Dayenu Brachot. Thank you so much. We'll see you again tomorrow for our last session. Um, <laughs>